Hey everybody, it's Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of 2020 iTalk. And uh, I am broadcasting from Durango, Colorado. Uh, it's been a great couple of days. Uh, I was actually up in uh, Salt Lake City uh, helping my wife's family. Um, uh, my brother-in-law passed away, and we're trying to figure out as a state and... Um, so I, I went up there, flew up there from Santa Fe, and uh, had a beautiful drive down through Utah, and just eye candy all the way, just amazing uh, sights, uh, a lot of diversity uh, from the mountains, uh, with snow, snow-capped, <clears throat> lots of snow, all the way into the desert, the Red Rocks, spent some time in Moab and uh, then headed over to Durango. And I want to spend a few minutes uh, answering some questions that I've been getting on uh, my Facebook uh, account. And I'm really, uh, I'm really blown away by the number of questions that are coming through. And so on this particular uh, broadcast, I want to talk about a children's vision, and I want to address some of the questions that have come through from uh, Katie's show, uh, Wellness Mama. And I want to really thank Katie for having me on her show. Uh, it was really a, a tremendous honor. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of parents are questioning the kind of eye care they've been getting. And I've actually been, I've been appalled with uh, the treatment that... Uh, children have been getting in terms of their vision. I mean, I think we can do better than that for sure. And uh, when I say we, uh, the eye doctors, because basically, you know, when you look at a child's visual system, uh, in my view, you have to look at it from a developmental perspective. And when you're treating the eyes in a child, you're treating the whole child. And so let's just get that out there. Uh, so let's get right to it. Uh, Jessica asks a question. Uh, she's the mother of two children in glasses, and she says, my daughter has been diagnosed with amblyopia, which is lazy eye, and she's had glasses since four years old. My son has much more severe eye health issues. He was born with an eye that's crossed. He is farsighted with a lazy eye, and he has eye alignment issues. My son has had eyeglasses since six months of age, he recently underwent eye muscle surgery in 2018. He is now in bifocals. I always thought I was doing the best I could, and I had asked about eye exercises and told there was nothing that you could do. My son is a good eater, and I am currently doing a gut healing diet with him. I've also done phototherapy with infrared light and red light. Now that I know of you, I will start these exercises. I can do these things on my home, uh, but due to the severity of my son's eye issues, I feel I need some professional guidance. All right, well, let's start with your son, Jessica. And uh, <clears throat> so I think I will, I'll start here. And this probably will apply to any parent who's got a child with uh, crossed eyes or uncrossed eyes. This is called strabismus. And strabismus is a condition where the two eyes are not aligning, they're not focusing together. And 
amblyopia means that there's a lazy eye. So in other words, in that um, lack of eye coordination, the child is preferring one eye most of the time, the majority of the time. And then uh, in, that, in that scenario, because um, the other eye is kind of left behind, it's not getting stimulated, so it begins to lose um, its ability to see clearly. So I said at the top of the show, when you're working with the eyes in a child, you're working with the whole child. And in my perspective, and uh, I, I, have a, I have a really good track record here, so I'm speaking as an expert, that when, uh, when a child has a vision problem, especially early on in their life, one of the first places that we want to look is in the developmental history, and that goes way back to the prenatal period, um, any things that were out of the, the ordinary in the prenatal period. It could have been anything like mom has been afraid of um, getting a miscarriage, so there's been a, you know, a lot of bed rest. Um, or there's just been stress or, you know, toxicities, anything, traumas, anything that went on in the prenatal period begins to affect the development of the sensory motor system. And then, of course, the birth process, <clears throat> if there was any birth trauma, anything from a C-section to a breach, uh, forceps delivery, the cord wrapped around the neck, um, you know, even getting Pitocin uh, as, a, as a drug uh, to uh, reduce the pain, these are all things that are interferences in our sensory motor development, especially our visual system. And uh, so you look at the birth, and then the next, the next developmental milestone has to do with the bonding stage in terms of uh, breastfeeding, uh, the bonding between mom and dad, and the infant. Uh, this is a really important uh, experience in terms of our social engagement, establishing eye contact. And then, of course, there's the motor development that the infant goes through. Was there tummy time? Did the infant uh, crawl, uh, creep and crawl, and eventually walk, and then go through some of the bilateral movement uh, experiences? These are really important for setting the stage in terms of our foundational uh, eye uh, coordination patterns later on. We know that the eyes originate from brain tissue. That's been proven in fetal development, actually in the first trimester. And so whenever we work with the eyes, we're working with the brain. And so when you see something reflected in the eye, like the eye turning in or turning out, or there's a a deprivation in one of the eyes, then what happens is um, it's a reflection of what's going on in terms of the hemispheres of the brain and the body. Now, when you do eye muscle surgery, what you're doing is you're imposing an overlay on the eye muscle and the eyeball, but the source of learning how to see with both eyes together is in the brain. So it sets up a confusion in the brain because even though you change the eye muscle, um, the brain is going to override that. And I think the success rate of surgery is about 30%. And if you look at the literature, you're doing multiple surgeries, and it never works. It, it's, it's, a, it's a really uh, poor surgery to do, 
I don't recommend it. Now, if you've had it, then the other piece of it, it makes sense that any surgery you have, you have physical therapy after it. So when the eye doctors say, well, there's no, there's no exercises, there's nothing you can do, that is, that is dead wrong. Uh, if you're going to go for an, a knee surgery, you're going to go to physical therapy and you're going to rehab it. If you have a shoulder injury and you go for surgery, you're going to go to physical therapy, you're going to rehab it. Uh, in, my, in my work in the hospitals, when I was um, consulting with traumatic brain injury, uh, there was no question that the physical therapy for the eyes was tremendously helpful for folks who uh, had vision problems, whether they had surgery or not. So in terms of a mom and this particular uh, experience with her son, the other piece of the puzzle is the lens prescription that's prescribed. And this just infuriates me because what happens, well, the way we learned in school, the way we're trained is that we dilate the eyes, we paralyze the focusing muscles, and then we prescribe a lens based on the maximum that we're measuring. And that is the most ridiculous thing that you're going to do because then at that point, you're putting this really strong lens on this child, which is actually going to freeze visual development. It's going to create distortion and blurriness, and it's not going to allow the child to integrate their eyes and their brain and their body. So the thinking is the stronger the magnification will force the eyes to be straight. We're forcing. Hey, we do not want to force anything. This is a, an organic learned process of how we integrate our visual system with our body. And the other piece of this, uh, this puzzle is that bifocals for young children is also a ridiculous and it's a poor choice. Because if the eyes are not working together to begin with, and then you're asking the child to focus through a tiny window, which is the bifocal, they don't have the skill set to be able to do that. You should just be using a single vision lens. I would say whatever the prescription is measured at in terms of the dilation, prescribe maybe 20% of it or 30% of it at the most and do not wear it full time. Uh, another uh, myth is that you should patch the good eye for six to eight hours a day. And that is very traumatic for a child and it doesn't work. Uh, because what it does is it actually confuses the middle of the child's vision when you patch one of the eyes. And the whole idea is that we want to learn to use both of our eyes together as it relates to our brain and our body. So patching uh, the good eye for long periods of time, if you have amblyopia, not great. So in this situation, I would tell the mom, go back to your doctor and say, I don't want the bifocal. I would like a 30% power prescription of what you've given me. I'm not going to do the patching. I'm going to look for somebody who does vision therapy, which is a physical therapy for the eyes and the brain and the body. And in physical therapy for the eyes, in my philosophy, what I do is I use a hierarchy approach where we start with something called the primitive survival reflexes. And these are very early infant reflex movement patterns that start in gestation and the purpose of these movement patterns, one, one uh, purpose is to help the newborn adjust to being out of the, out of the womb. There's about five primitive reflexes that I <clears throat> use as it relates to visual development. The moral reflex, the tonic labyrinth reflex, 
the spinal gallant reflex, the asymmetrical tonic neck reflex, and the symmetrical tonic neck reflex. So this child who's been diagnosed with strabismus and amblyopia, and this would also go with your daughter too, Jessica, that you would want to start working with each of the reflexes, starting with the moral reflex. And I believe that that's on my website. Um, if you type in moral reflex, you'll get that particular movement pattern. The moral reflex is about our startle response <clears throat> and our ability to adjust to new environment situations. And when you see the exercise, it's about bringing the right side and the left side both into midline and then releasing both sides of the body so they move away from midline. So this cues the body and it cues the eyes to begin to start to learn to come into midline together and release and go out away from midline together. So I would start with the moral reflex. I would also work with the vestibular system. So the vestibular system is the inner ear and the inner ear and the eyes are very connected in terms of our visual coordination. And in terms of our balance, I would work with balance eyes open, balance eyes closed, uh, and make sure that the child has an, an anchor that they're looking at with eyes open as they're working with their balance. You can do both feet together. You can have them do a heel to toe balancing, or they can even balance on one foot. Eyes open and then do it with eyes closed where the ankle, the, the anchor is at the belly button. This is where the vestibular system is spotlighted because you want to get the vestibular system <clears throat> to work with the visual system. That's really important in terms of our balance, our orientation and space, uh, our depth perception. <clears throat> so you can see I'm working at a hierarchy. I'm not starting with trying to fix the eyes. I'm starting with the primitive reflexes, I'm working with the balance, and then I'm working with motor patterns like hopping, skipping, um, also something called bear walk, and crawling, where we're doing homolateral movements and then bilateral movements. But the key is you're doing it in a visually guided and visually directed situation. So you're bringing the visual system into the movement through obstacle courses, through movement. And at the same time you're bringing the visual system into the body, you're now working with bilateral movements. Because the key in strabismus and amblyopia is to solidify the bilateral movement skill in the body. So the brain says, ah, the body is really automatic in its bilaterality, <clears throat> then the eyes are going to follow suit to what the brain and the body are showing it. I would also work with things like jump rope, I would work with something called the Marsden ball. This is a swinging ball where you can use a flashlight and track the ball. A fun game to play with your kids is flashlight tag. So you're lying on your back and you each have a flashlight and you shine it up at the ceiling in a dark room. And one leads and the other has to touch the light of the other on the ceiling. And so you can just go back and forth, use the right hand, use the left hand. So this would start to give, put you in a direction of being proactive, of teaching the child's, uh, child how to use both eyes together by using the body. <clears throat> so I know that's a long-winded answer, Jessica. Uh, I would say no more eye surgery. Start looking for ways to work with physical therapy for the eyes, and uh, you will have a better chance of improving both your son and your daughter's situation. 
Okay, now I would like to uh, address another question. This is from um, a mom. She's got a nine-year-old daughter who was diagnosed with myopia. This is very early stages. Uh, small amount in the right eye, a little bit more in the left eye, and was given glasses to wear only when in school. Oh, my. Okay, so what, what you received there uh, was a symptom approach of treating myopia. And so what you're going to do when, when she wears that prescription is it's going to make her myopia worse. And in a year, she's going to go back and she's going to need a stronger prescription. So the symptom is the distance blur. The problem is because the two eyes are not working together up close. It's near point stress that's causing the distant blur. So in, I would take those glasses off right away. Uh, I would consider uh, having your daughter sit closer to the front uh, while we work in a physical therapy approach for the eyes called vision therapy, which would reduce the stress up close. And <clears throat> by reducing the stress off up close, then the eye muscles would relax and you wouldn't even need the distance prescription. So here are three things that you can do uh, to reduce the stress. Number one, make sure her reading distance is at about 12 to 14 inches. This is something called the Harmon distance. And what you do is you take your knuckle and put it under your chin and you make a fist, put it under your chin, and you measure the length of her arm to her elbow. And at that place, that's the distance where she should be holding her books or her, her iPad if she's using a computer, uh, electronic, digital device. So that, that is the proper distance to be reading. If you bring the reading closer than the Harmon distance, it's going to cause the eye muscles to spasm. And in doing that, it's going to create myopia. The second thing I would do is I would do an exercise called the palm hum. This is on my website. Uh, you can Google it on my website, palm hum. Palming and humming are great ways to relax the eyes and the eye stress. Uh, and I would do that at least three times a day. Um, if your daughter is feeling stressed, this is a great way to begin to release the stress um, in the eye muscles by doing this eye relax re relaxation exercise. And then the last thing that I would do would be um, I would make sure that in terms of supplementation, um, it's really important that she gets a magnesium supplement in the evening. Um, there's a, a great one that Garden of Life puts out. Uh, and so you would want her to get on that supplement. I would also uh, supplement with probiotics uh, before she eats in the morning, uh, fish oil, uh, a multivitamin, make sure she's got some good bees in that. Uh, so those would be uh, some, some supplements that I would recommend in terms of the, um, the eye muscles and the myopia. In that eye vitamin, you want to make sure there's chromium, selenium, and um, these trace minerals are really important for the eye muscles. <clears throat> and you want to watch her sugar intake because uh, myopia tends to uh, increase if we have difficulty um, metabolizing our carbohydrates and sugars. So I, th I hope that that helps you. 
Okay, now I would like to uh, address another question. This is from um, a mom. She's got a nine-year-old daughter who was diagnosed with myopia. This is very early stages. Uh, small amount in the right eye, a little bit more in the left eye, and was given glasses to wear only when in school. Oh, my. Okay, so what, what you received there uh, was a symptom approach of treating myopia. And so what you're going to do when, when she wears that prescription is it's going to make her myopia worse. And in a year, she's going to go back and she's going to need a stronger prescription. So the symptom is the distance blur. The problem is because the two eyes are not working together up close. It's near point stress that's causing the distant blur. So in, I would take those glasses off right away. Uh, I would consider uh, having your daughter sit closer to the front uh, while we work in a physical therapy approach for the eyes called vision therapy, which would reduce the stress up close. And <clears throat> by reducing the stress off up close, then the eye muscles would relax and you wouldn't even need the distance prescription. So here are three things that you can do uh, to reduce the stress. Number one, make sure her reading distance is at about 12 to 14 inches. This is something called the Harmon distance. And what you do is you take your knuckle and put it under your chin and you make a fist, put it under your chin, and you measure the length of her arm to her elbow. And at that place, that's the distance where she should be holding her books or her, her iPad if she's using a computer, uh, electronic, digital device. So that, that is the proper distance to be reading. If you bring the reading closer than the Harmon distance, it's going to cause the eye muscles to spasm. And in doing that, it's going to create myopia. The second thing I would do is I would do an exercise called the palm hum. This is on my website. Uh, you can Google it on my website, palm hum. Palming and humming are great ways to relax the eyes and the eye stress. Uh, and I would do that at least three times a day. Um, if your daughter is feeling stressed, this is a great way to begin to release the stress um, in the eye muscles by doing this eye relax re relaxation exercise. And then the last thing that I would do would be um, I would make sure that in terms of supplementation, um, it's really important that she gets a magnesium supplement in the evening. Um, there's a, a great one that Garden of Life puts out. Uh, and so you would want her to get on that supplement. I would also uh, supplement with probiotics uh, before she eats in the morning, uh, fish oil, uh, a multivitamin, make sure she's got some good bees in that. Uh, so those would be uh, some, some supplements that I would recommend in terms of the, um, the eye muscles and the myopia. In that eye vitamin, you want to make sure there's chromium, selenium, and um, these trace minerals are really important for the eye muscles. <clears throat> and you want to watch her sugar intake because uh, myopia tends to uh, increase if we have difficulty um, metabolizing our carbohydrates and sugars. So I, th I hope that that helps you. 
Okay, next question. Uh, this is from a lady. <laughs> she was, uh, her, her child was diagnosed with something called intermittent exotropia, six-year-old son, uh, Sandy. So this is from Sandy. Uh, I have a six-year-old son with intermittent exotropia. I had him in vision therapy for 1.5 years. And since the demands of school and reading are increasing, we are scheduled for two to three sessions of therapy for week, uh, per week, which is about $4,700. I am holistic in everything, and um, that is why he's in vision therapy. But I've wondered if it is a deficiency or health-related. He is currently seeing someone who, who does applied kinesiology who has recommended magnesium, which he is taking. He eats vegetables. He, his health is great. Uh, I listened to your show on Wellness Mama. Before I drop $4,700 on therapy, do you have any suggestions? Wow. Okay, Sandy. Well, you know... It's really interesting with uh, those folks that are doing vision therapy out there. There is such a, a wide range of quality and effectiveness in what is offered in vision therapy. And, you know, what I've learned uh, over the years is that in this particular situation, intermittent exotropia, which, again, is a problem where one of the eyes some of the time will wander out. So this is a problem of divergence. And that that situation, really the source of it, has to be addressed developmentally in the primitive reflexes, the gross motor skills, and then doing some vision therapy exercises that improve visual coordination. And what I see happens, this is a big deficit in most vision therapy uh, practices that I have seen, is that it's cookbook, that the doctor is not even um, in the room. And the third thing is, is that they're not really addressing the child's problem from a holistic perspective. In this situation, probably for 10% of the price, maybe 20% of the price at the most, uh, her son's problem should be solved. And if she's still going 1.5 years, then they need to find somebody else. It's that, it's that simple. Um, now, there are some things that can get into the way of the intermittent exotropia, like nutrition and diet. It sounds like that's being handled. Uh, the other piece of it is that I would add would be craniosacral therapy. You know, many years ago when I was working with autistic kids and I was working with an OT and uh, a lot of these autistic kids had brain uh, birth trauma and they had strabismus that would accompany the birth trauma. She had recommended that I go study cranial sacral therapy. And so I went back to massage school, studied it for about four years. And when I started to apply cranial sacral therapy to kids who had strabismus, I found that I would reduce the time that they needed to be in vision therapy because there was a structural component to the strabismus. And I don't know what, um, what uh, Sandy's uh, son's developmental history was, if he had any problems in gestation, birth, or bonding, what his uh, developmental motor uh, situation is. 
But generally speaking, uh, you want to look at the places where there are holes in the developmental process, and you want to start there. You want to plug in at the earliest time that you can. I would also say for Sandy, I would start doing the moral reflex and get into the primitive reflexes. Uh, I would also say that perhaps a prism prescription, yoked prisms. Uh, now, these aren't prism glasses that weaken the eyes, but that actually will encourage a better spatial integration. Uh, these would be some things that I would consider, or even a, a learning lens, a developmental learning lens. So that wasn't mentioned either. To give her son, son more support in this, uh, you know, at six years old, you're learning to read, but then you're beginning to read to learn. So I'm sure his visual skills are much better being in vision therapy for 1.5 years, but it hasn't clicked for him. So yes, I definitely think you could find answers for a lot less money. Keep looking. Okay, well, I think I'm out of time. I want to thank you all for tuning in today and um, uh, keep sending me your questions. And until next time, take good care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.